By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. Okay, everybody, buckle up, because things are about to get very controversial in Corona Movie Club. Um, so my friend Steve Vargo and I get on like gangbusters. Uh, I adore him. He is the funniest and best, and we agree on so many things, or so I thought. And then we talked about You've Got Mail. And um, let's just say that things have never been the same. We are now mortal enemies and I've never forgiven him. And this brought out a new side of him uh, that got very dark very quickly. And in all future episodes, he just argues with me all the time. So this is the episode where one can um, mourn the loss of what was once a beautiful friendship uh, between uh, Kelly and Steve. Oh, Steve. I'm sorry, Steve. Except I'm not, because you're wrong about You've Got Mail, bro. You're so wrong. Um, but he, uh, Vargo, it was a good thing he was on the call because he was representing a point of view that is very common um, on the internet. Uh, we know how, you know, smart they are as a collective. Um, but the internet does not like You've Got Mail anymore. Um, I tend to think there used to be people who liked You've Got Mail and then felt bad about liking You've Got Mail and got, got weird about it. Um, but you know, it's not the most, uh, it's not even that it's not progressive. It's just that it's, it's of its time, certainly. Um, and because it's an adaptation of a play from 1937 Hungary, um, it's, uh, tricky to get around some of the necessities of the plot in a way that doesn't feel at least a little bit weird. I do think that Nora and Delia Efron in writing the script for You've Got Mail did what they could in terms of um, giving Kathleen or the female character whose name changes in every adaptation, but giving her um, a lot more agency. I think the casting of Tom Hanks is really crucial in uh, sort of softening the Joe character and making him, I mean, it's always a nice enough guy, but like making him seem not that sinister and really sincere. Um, 
And I think that some of us on the call bring up do bring up some interesting points uh, that can sort of maybe not necessarily excuse some of the, the behavior that some characterize as gaslighting. I wouldn't necessarily call it gaslighting. Um, but can sort of explain and justify some of the behavior that happens in the second act of this, which is like eh, maybe a little questionable, um, but is again the necessities of if you're going to go with Laszlo's basic plot from Parfumery, um, it does come with some just tough plot to get around. Um, but I think this movie does a really beautiful job of updating and uh, cre- giving people external life um, and things to care about beyond this little flirtation that they have um, online. Um, and I think it fleshes it out interestingly. Um, this is also a good companion episode to our Godfather episode, um, because something that Nora Ephron does in her films is have her characters talk about another film all the time. Uh, so in Sleepless in Seattle, they talk about um, An Affair to Remember a lot. In uh, When Harry Met Sally, they talk about Casablanca. And in You've Got Mail, weirdly, they talk about The Godfather. Um, So check out that episode as well. And um, yeah, enjoy this honestly very contentious episode. Like this was like the worst, the darkest timeline of Corona Movie Club for sure. So on this call, we have obviously myself, Kelly Bedard, and Steve Vargo, the villain of all villains, as well as Matt Yipchuk, Liz Johnston, uh, Brie Garcia, and Nicole Falgu, who's always on my side, and I love her for it. Okay, that's all I'll say. Um, But also, Vargo is wrong, and I am right, and You've Got Mail is wonderful. Okay, now that's all I'll say. Enjoy. Okay, so first things first, I know that it's quote-unquote problematic but it's adapted from oh. a story that's been adapted a thousand times before and it makes me very happy. So while I will let anyone who needs to <laughs> say what they need to say about the inherent creepiness of the plot, at the end of the day, we're all going to celebrate how happy and lovely this movie is, how sharp Nora Ephron's writing is, and that beautiful montage at the beginning set to the Cranberries song. Okay. Those are the ground rules of this very happy, lovely Zoom, <laughs> wherein I actually liked the movie, but also may or may not have not rewatched it. So, <laughs> who wants to go first? <laughs> me, me. Okay. Okay. Matt can Matt go first. Because he was the loudest, and that's how society works. Hooray. I think I also suggested this movie, unless others did, but I know I was one of them definitely. So quick preface about my relationship with this movie, which ties into the history of my relationship with one of my favorite cats. So when I first started developing the habit of falling asleep to television, one night I decided to watch You've Got Mail. I think I was in grade seven. And then my uh, overweight tabby cat, Sassy, who lived up to her name in every way, she would like always just sit at my feet and fall asleep with me. And then she decided that she loved You've Got Mail. Like when I was at school the next day and for the subsequent week, my mom would report that Sassy the cat would just meow incessantly until she put on You've Got Mail. So I spent about two or three years watching this movie almost every night and falling asleep to it because of Sassy the cat. And it's a movie that still holds up, even though I've seen it and fallen asleep to it. And it's embedded into my sleepy time subconscious so strongly. Um, and I mean, I do have the personal ties to it, reminding me of one of my favorite cats. She's dead now, but the movie, we still have the movie. Um, 
So that aside, this is my first time rewatching it as I'll say in air quotes, an adult. And I assumed it would be somewhat problematic just from what I remembered for the plot. Um, and I wasn't confident that it would hold up in terms of like actual, in terms of how it's made as an actual film. And I was pleasantly surprised that it, it did. It reminded me of what Kelly said about my best friend's wedding, how movies like this don't get made anymore. Like, romantic comedies that are just like made really well as a film, like the the camera work, the cinematography, the writing, and just the performances. Meg Ryan actually shocked me because I haven't seen a Meg Ryan movie in so long. And in my brain, again, I sort of assumed that she wouldn't be a great actor, but she, like she is so good in this. Like just the way that she handles all the like weirdly modern yet poetic language when she's typing and even when she's just like talking to Tom Hanks she's just she is Kathleen Kelly and she's such an adorable endearing character and Tom Hanks I think is so so good at striking the balance between being really likable but also being a like legitimately kind of assholey person like just and the two of them work off of each other so so nicely and even the supporting cast, like I love Parker Posey and Greg Kinnear. I think they're great. And all of her friends in the bookshop, like, oh, just everything about this movie makes me so happy. That's, think, that's my opening statement. And Sassy the Cat, rest in peace. Aw, R.I.P. Sassy. Um, oh, I do yeah. think it's a perfectly cast movie. And I think, I, well, I think it's a beautifully written movie as well, because Nora Ephron's a genius. But I, but I think it is perfectly cast. And um, especially because of the stuff that hasn't aged well and some of the things that even at the time like the plot of perfumery is kind of icky in like that section in the middle where he after he finds out who she is but before he tells her that it's not even that it didn't age well it's like a problematic section of the part of the plot however um because of that stuff it if it had not been cast perfectly it could have gone the other way pretty easily um but one you're right meg ryan is just a lovely sunshine like she just makes me happy in this movie she's so immensely charming she's enchanting if you will which is a thing from the movie um and then uh tom hanks her mother was enchanting her mother was enchanting yes that's true it was i guess it's not her she's 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 kind of i like that she's kind of fierce and not like she's not just a cute, nice Meg Ryan sunshine girl. Like she does um, cut deeply when she needs to, and she doesn't put up with his shit. And I, I don't know. I like her so much. And then Tom Hanks is, um, you know, the nicest man in the world. So he can play someone who's like kind of sarcastic and a little bit darker and destroys her small business and all that stuff. And you still <laughs> forgive him because. Yes, he's immensely charming, but he has, there's like no zero ick factor to Tom Hanks whatsoever. Like there are lots of men, like like Hugh Grant, for example, very charming, great when he plays a nice guy. But if he plays somebody who's even the tiniest bit, not that nice, the whole time you're like, ew, uh, I don't trust you. I don't know. Whereas Tom Hanks, you just inherently trust him even when he's, you know, being a little bit mean, like he is in the early parts of this film. And uh, I just think, it, and yeah, Steve Zahn, and I think Parker Posey is amazing, and Greg Kinnear is amazing, and the strength of the ex of the other, like not the exes, they're the exes by the end, but like the other significant others in this movie, I think is one of the strengths of the movie, because 
Um, oftentimes that other person is totally disposable and really simplistic and, and or villainous. And I think they do a great job with both of those characters of not of making you not want them to end up with the main characters, but also not like simplistically vilifying them to make it a really easy this or that Robert Zane or um, Billy Zane kind of situation. That's the guy from Titanic, right? Billy Zane. Yeah. Robert Zane's a character from Suits. Um, <laughs> but. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, um, I think they do a really good job with the supporting characters and um, yeah. So basically that was just a whole rant to say, I agree with Matt. Who's next? <laughs> Steve. Um, I have a lot of points to go on from that, all, the, all those conversations. Okay. Um, I liked the movie up to maybe the third act where I started getting lost in the, just when he got, went into her apartment. A lot of that was a little like, why is she allowing this? And she <laughs> goes to the bed and he puts her, his finger on her and like they had a moment and I just didn't, get that whole I'm sorry, did you that say whole moment that whole scene her? i just didn't believe right on her he like does a, oh yeah no i don't like that thing. right yeah. yeah and that's the one part where tom hanks for the first time makes like was creepy to me mm-hmm. but i didn't i think that was more of the direction than him as an actor but um from there to the end i really just I I just felt disappointed in where it went. I always knew that they were going to end up together, but I just felt that she didn't really go on a journey like he did. And he had a lot of control over her perhaps emotions or the way that she was going through figuring out this guy and who was him the whole time. And I think that's, for me, that was the problematic part of the movie. However, the first two acts are great and I love them. There's amazing scenes that I don't see in rom-coms, especially the one with um, Meg Ryan and her boyfriend talking about how they don't love each other. Like, that's a great scene. And also the scene where uh, with Meg Ryan- And they're so pleasant, it's so nice. Yeah, yeah, they're so nice about it. And it's usually like one gets offended even though they feel the same way. And that's what usually happens now. uh, but uh, like, and and also the scene with Tom Hanks and her on the first date, um, that is not really first date. That whole scene is, I think, very very well written, very well done, acted, and just a really fun scene. And the idea of the whole thing is really good too. The bookstore thing. I kind of wanted her to like end up in the child section, programming, you know, programming things at the Fox Mall. Um, like she ends up getting a job even though she doesn't want him to offer her one. I don't know. I kind of just, her story, I think got left behind. It was for her, the whole movie was about her bookstore and sort of about this guy that she felt the same way the whole time with. And at the very end, it's the guy that ruined her store. Like there's no, I felt like there was no closure for her character and her journey about her store. Well, Parker Posey hires her to be a books editor. Yeah, yeah, that's, and (laughs) and I think she's writing a book too. So I know that she she finds another journey. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she she does get another thing, but I just didn't understand why she ended like ended up liking him and at Mm -hmm. the end, I really just don't get it. 
Um, hold on, it. Matt. Do Nicole or Bree want to say something before we let Matt refute everything Steve just said? <laughs> um, no, I'll I I'll hold mine till. Okay. Go okay, ahead. I'll be really quick, just since it's somewhat topical and something I forgot to say, is that I, for the most part, agree with the whole Meg Ryan, uh, Kathleen Kelly character arc or lack thereof, which is something that I think I was, I've always kind of been pseudo aware of with this movie, but then on rewatching it this time around, something that I noticed or maybe just made headcanon for myself, I think the scene when she's sick and he goes to her apartment, I feel like she fully realizes that it's him then and the whole third act is just kind of this cute little George Bernard Shaw-esque comedy of manners of them like of her accepting him and him kind of playing his cards to almost redeem himself for being such an asshole for the first two-thirds of the movie because that entire scene is just littered with him like hearkening back to their email conversations where it's like oh I just love New York in the fall and like oh pride and prejudice etc etc and whether or not that is actually true outside my head canon, I feel like it just, it's again, Nora Ephron writing something brilliant and directing it brilliantly as well. That's that a, was my point. That's a great take on it, certainly. And like, certainly like to go back to my best friend's wedding for a second, I have a take on that movie on like what's really happening in the movie that is not necessarily like everyone's interpretation of what's happening, but my version's a better movie. <laughs> so like choosing <laughs> to believe that, that she, cause it is true. Like in order for her to not under, to not sort of clue in, you do have to think, well, oh, she's just super naive. And that's not a very satisfying thing to think about someone who the rest of the movie isn't naive at all. So um, I, I really like that. I think that makes the movie a lot better. Um, and I also kind of disagree that she has no arc. I think um, in the first part of the movie, she's she's very much living about her about the relationship. About the relationships, are you talking? Okay, I thought your your point was that she has no arc about her bookstore. You mean about the relationship? No, I think that's her only. I think that's her only arc is is the bookstore, and that it didn't have really the. It sort of had closure, but her arc had didn't have an arc like Tom Hanks did relationship wise. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily think that he has that one much of one either because it is a unique film in that we're meeting them having already established their feelings for each other. So like both of them start at the same level of feelings for this person they anonymously know. And then they go on the journey of like figuring out who that person is and how they feel about that. But I, I do think whether you, you fully buy Matt's, like, she has it by the time that they have their first, like, amiable interaction post-shop-around-the-corner uh, closure or not, certainly by the time you get to the garden at the end, she says, I was hoping it was you, or wish it'd be you, or whatever that line is. Like, like why? Had, why? <laughs> well, she had, because she'd fallen for him at that point, and she liked, like, the idea of, mirror, like, marrying these two figures in her head that were both sort of romanticized figures or uh, marrying a romanticized figure with someone who in in practical real life she had this connection with and this physical chemistry with you the idea of those being in one person is the dream and the I think problem... by the time she says that line the like it's obviously a possibility in her head that they are the same person otherwise that line doesn't make sense 
So she figures it out before she just never tells us that she figured it out. And so she's going through her, her journey of, if you separate um, the online guy and the Tom Hanks guy, her journey is more about learning to appreciate and forgive Tom Hanks, whether or not he is the same man in her head as the guy online. And his journey is figuring out how to marry the idea of the woman in his head with the woman he knows is in right in front of him and reconcile those two things. But he starts on that journey halfway through the movie when he figures out who she is. And in the third act, she, he's almost manipulate. Oh, I, I don't know if manipulation is too harsh a word, but he's purposely going to, going to her and befriending her because she, he knows that she already likes him. And so there's this weird thing that's happening where he's taking advantage of this in some way and trying to make her fall in love with him before she realizes who he actually is. Someone but I else think she that's, loves a, as that's well. a really, so it's, a really it's cynical a weird view of it. Happening. it. It's just I know, really but that's cynical, what I like, the idea of it the movie. being the idea of it being manipulation to me doesn't make sense because, like, oh, I, I think it it's is, too harsh to say that. Yeah, because it is yeah. him, right? He's not trying to convince her that he's somebody else. You like, know, it's not like it's not like he has an advantage. That's the problem. He has an advantage of the situation. He knows. He knows who she is, and she has no idea until sure. near the end. Sure, I, I, I don't she, necessarily he agree. was having dates with her. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree that she has no idea. First of all, but second of all, like it's not—it's not like he found out she has a crush on this person, and then he was able to go read their chats and pretend to be that person. All—all all he has is who he is. That's his, his best shot. So he's just trying yeah. to show her in real life that he is who she knows him to be already. And he's just trying to basically find a way to in, circumvent the prejudice that she has against him from the logistics of their physical meeting and get her to see him for the person that she saw him for before the their physical, like their physical world interactions. Like he's not trying to be anything that he's not. And yeah, I don't love that he has information she doesn't have, right? Anytime there's any sort of like lying or it's not like, it's like, like, um, holding back of information. That's not the best, but it's a fucking rom-com. That's what, that's what they're based on. That's literally where the (laughs) plots come from. If everyone's honest with each other in the first place there, you don't get past page 10, a hundred percent of the time. So like, I, I don't think it's, I, I do have a problem with, that is a very popular narrative online, that it's a manipulation. And he's not, he's just trying to it is make her see, pardon me? It's, I, I think it's too harsh to call her that. Like, I, I, I see what you're saying too, that it's still him. Like, he's not completely lying about himself. He's not lying um, at all about himself. Well, he's lying about knowing. He's not, he's what's, not. What's going on, like, like who she's talking to. Every time she talks about him, like, oh, what, like, she's, he's asking her to say stuff and he's manipulating the conversations they eventually have uh, on their email. Uh, it's, it's very weird, but I think it's the ending that is where they could have fixed all of that. If she had some questions, some 
if they had a discussion at the end about that, why didn't you that sort of thing? Um, instead of it sort of just ending. Such a romantic like, ending. <laughs> yeah, but it sort of just ended with like, oh, it's, oh, I, I'm glad it was you. Yeah, but if you buy Matt's idea that she knew, week. like yeah. by the time she gets to, I was hoping it was you, it she has to have a very real possibility in her head that it is him. She has to have it figured out. Otherwise that ending is like, wait, what the fuck? Who are you? What? Like, it's a very different ending. It's a very different reaction. It's a very different performance if she doesn't know it's him. She knows it's him by the time you get there, 100%. She seemed torn just before that scene because he sort of, after all of his dates, he said that he wishes that they were together. That So, like, he confesses her, his love for her at the, just before she's going on the date with him. Um, so she's torn there so of course she's gonna but like at that whole point he he was going on dates with her knowing all of this and it's he was in okay. love way before and he was going on this journey but anyways Nicole, I, I think I, like we made our points yeah <laughs> right she's so i i mean kelly knows me i'm the consummate romantic so that's why i, I went to you next i knew it <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, everything is sweet. Um, I've, I find it adorable, but that's just because it's me and I have what Kelly lovingly refers, I think lovingly refers to as ingenue brain. So everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. Everything is innocent, um, especially where Tom Hanks is concerned. So I, I Kelly definitely picked me because I am a thousand percent behind her on this um i sorry i, I manipulated the situation exactly um i had overt- information than <laughs> i bursted out loud laughing on mute <laughs> sorry i interrupted you continue there um but i think that that's i mean that makes a good point right is that um you're, you're quote unquote manipulating the situation to picking me. Uh, you know, it, it's, it basically doesn't, how do I put this? It doesn't become a full-blown manipulation on behalf of Tom Hanks's character just because he has information she doesn't. It's just, he has information. It's kind of, it, is it a lie of omission? Yeah, you should probably let your girl know that you knew her. <laughs> like he, he should have let her know. And I kind of—that's the one thing I think that I focus on a little bit with uh, with this one is I don't think it's manipulation. I don't think it's problematic in that in it to such a degree um, that we were just discussing. But I do think she was entitled to know, kind of like going back to my best friend's wedding. Uh, Julianne was entitled, or Michael was entitled to know what Julianne was feeling. I think that um, Meg Ryan's character was absolutely entitled to know what Tom Hanks' character was thinking, but it doesn't make it problematic to me that she doesn't have it, especially because you have the ending where she's like, I I was hoping it was you. That moment... Everything else is negated, and I'm just in. 
and I'm a puddle on the floor. I also <laughs> think it's, it's worth thinking about why he makes the decisions he makes. And I think that um, the idea of manipulation has a, a really malicious, and sorry, I know like you don't actually believe it's that word, and yet we keep using that word to describe your argument, but like your argument's a little bit also the internet's argument, and it's very much about manipulation. And it's like, I think that manipulation comes from such a place of wanting power, and it comes from a malicious place. And I think that Tom Hanks's actions in this movie, I'm sorry, Joe Fox's actions in this movie are coming from a much, a much more from a place of fear and a place of like defensiveness. I think when he first finds out that it's her, he initially, there's like a section in there where he doesn't do anything about it because he doesn't like her and he just kind of like wants to drop it. Um, and he doesn't really plan never see her again. And then he, he, when he decides that he does, um, he's then coming from a place of if she finds out right now that I am who I am, I have no shot. She hates me, like hates with a capital H and he, and so he doesn't, he has so much emotionally invested in this person. The idea of, her rejecting him because she knows who he is hurts too much. And so he tries to figure out a way to soften her feelings about him as Joe Fox so that her brain will be able to wrap itself around the idea of him as NY three, <laughs> six, whatever, um, without just running NY away. One, five, two. Thank you. One, two. Yeah, but that's see, that still cringes me. Um, that that idea that he once he falls in love, that he or thinks he falls in love with her, that he's has to really be on this fence and figure out how to go about this. And that's to me an issue <laughs> that that he still is going going to her in real life and then pretending to be this other guy on his, his other self um, online. Um, it's just, it's a very weird situation that he's trying to, he's trying to make it good for him. And so I have... just don't understand why, why she, it, it's not really about his intentions, which I think are not malicious. Like it comes from a genuine place, but I just don't understand why she, goes into the place where she goes into loving him like I just I don't get why she goes on this journey with him at the end there so um, here's my thing yeah and maybe it's a me thing <laughs> but it because I'm you know me um but say you really like object of your affection right for example my better half really likes gangster rap. How long did we last, guys? We made it a half hour, so that was good. 32 minutes, <laughs> but I'm making a point, and it's not completely about... The, the point is more, he really loves gangster rap. And a person who really, really likes another person will make the effort to get to know or appreciate something about that person, like the one thing that they have knowledge about. For example, me trying to like gangster rap. 
right? So I, I think that this is coming more from a place of, I need to get to know her. I need to, uh, like Kelly said, realize that she doesn't like me, but try and endear myself to her. So it becomes much less about manipulating the situation and more about finding common ground and trying to appreciate the things that make her tick in a way that doesn't make make the universe realize this thing that he's insecure or afraid of. There are also just some basic he already knows that he likes her. <laughs> Sorry, what? What did you say? Oh, I just said, but he already knows that he he already knows that she likes him like him, well, like him no she she knows that's that he the, likes part of him and that's not the same thing right like if somebody really likes right i don't know that i i think it's almost like do you remember that scene in notting hill where she says the thing about men um go to bed with uh i think it's gil i don't remember the character that she's referencing but like they go to bed with this character and then they wake up with her and i think that like if you've just been talking to somebody online and you know that they like that persona but then there's like you actual you who like breathes and like dresses the way you dress and has you know maybe you have dandruff i don't know like you're a real fucking person standing in front of someone you you're not you don't know that they like you they you know that they like a part of you um right it's just a different i think i don't know i think dismissing his insecurity factor is maybe missing a point but there is also what i was going to say is that i think there's just certain just like conventions of the genre stuff that you have to just wrap your head around for this movie and just decide to buy in because first of all this is the fourth iteration of this story at least that i know of and so, like, she decided to adapt perfumery slash shop around the corner slash she loves me. And, like, the story is le- the least problematic. You've Got Mail is the least problematic version of this story. So, like, already you're dealing with that. <laughs> like, you know, even the most woke taming of the shrew is still fucking taming of the shrew. The issue is still there. <laughs> You just have to find your way to like work around it. And then also like, it's a rom-com. There's people are like lying to each other and trying to win each other over and doing big gestures that are, you know, pretending to like something like, you know, if Nicole's life was a rom-com, which is like close, but no cigar, she, there would be a scene where she gets all decked out and goes to the gangster rap concert because she told Mike on their first date that she's totally into gangster rap. And like, that would be the the movie version of her life. But because she's a real person, she just told him up front, I don't like gangster rap, but I will try. And I will maybe, you know, I'll listen and I'll put some effort in and maybe I can learn to like it. If she was a rom-com character, she would have told him she loves it and lied a little bit and then gone to the, to the <laughs> concert and been wearing all sorts of crazy things. And we're going to pause for a second and welcome Liz Johnson to the call. Hello. Do you have strong opinions on You've Got Hi. Mail? Hi. <sighs> Yeah, I love this movie very much. Good, yay! <laughs> Otherwise, I was going to pretend you weren't Welcome here. Welcome to the parade. I love it. Does everybody? Everybody likes it, or except Steve. I don't like the third. The third yeah. act. I do like the first. Oh my god, the third act, Steve. Uh, it's a beautiful <laughs> dream. We can't think about it as acts. It's Nora Ephron <gasps> just having a laugh. Call, I'm just calling it an act from the point where he's in her apartment to the end. Ah, when he, with the flowers? 
Yeah, I like Daisy. that he brings her flowers, but flower. the scene, the, the scene flower. in, like the fact that she allows him in there, that she's in her bed, that the, the finger on her lips, all that's very yes, creepy to me. Yes, the finger on her lips weird. is annoying. I don't like and that. And then right up to the end where he's manipulating the, uh, the dates up to the end, like I just don't, I just don't like how Let it ended. Ask- I think I needed more at the end. Anyway, I'm not going to repeat everything. Like- Let me ask you something, Steve. Do you like Cyrano? I was thinking this earlier. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. You can't possibly. You'd be a hypocrite if you did. What? Cyrano de Bergerac. Cyrano, man. Come on. No, no I, I, have, I have not seen it. I, I have not okay. seen it. I have not seen it. How about the it's film Roxanne? Pardon? The movie Roxanne? Nope. Literally anything with a guy with a big nose or whatever, and he's in like, love with I, this girl. I know the idea that he's like a misogynist or he's like a weird... No, 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 no. he's just got a big nose. That's like the thing okay. that's wrong with him. Oh, he's ugly. Yes, he's ugly. <laughs> well, he's not oh, really he does, ugly. He, he does also nose. manipulate someone else's feelings. I, I, it's not ideal. Yeah, it's way worse. A, it's like more yeah. blatant a manipulation than you've okay, got. Okay, I just. Okay, okay, what's what's the point? What's the point? Um, just that it's a beautiful, beloved classic that doesn't get criticized. That's all. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, it's a. It is a classic. It doesn't get criticized, but it's far more problematic because you've got a dude completely o- allowing another human being to own his words and making a woman fall in love with this other guy because he's capitalizing on information that he knows about Roxanne. This is completely different because it's still his feelings about this girl and the only thing that he's doing differently or the only thing that he's doing that is in some way problematic is not telling her that he knows who she is. But what I just don't understand her feelings behind all of this. I don't understand how he she wins. Okay, falls this is, for him. This is very. He is, he is a person who spends <laughs> a lot of time with her and is very charming and makes her feel understood and like there's someone to connect to. And she's going through some shit right now, and he's there for her and he listens and he talks to her about the thing that's occupying her mind, which is her bookstore and also this random guy online. And he wins her over. And it like, I don't understand why the charming scene of them getting hot dogs doesn't convey to you why she's into Tom Hanks. (laughs) It's because it's not personal. I have another question for you, Steve. It's just because he knows so much about her and and what's going on with her. That's what I don't like. Okay, so um, uh, my friends have a tendency (laughs) to fall in love with each other. And what happens when that happens, like all the time, (laughs) And what happens is one of them will call me and be like, hey, does so-and-so like such-and-such? And And me, who knows everything about my friends, goes, actually, (laughs) so-and-so likes such-and-such. I suggest maybe doing this. Now, is my telling one of the other one, like, oh, maybe you should buy this particular type of tights that he mentioned this one time, and then her doing it, is that her having information that he doesn't know she has, but, like, they have an inside man? That's one little thing, and it might not be herself oh. if she's wearing those pants. But well, anyways, okay. no, this is a lot of things. <laughs> she, he, he, he took away her business. She, he knows that she... That but he, it's not personal. That she's, it's uh, business. Oh, it's business. <laughs> but she says it's personal. She tells him that in that scene. It's a great scene where she says it is personal. All of this is personal. Um, and it's a great scene that they have in that apartment. But then... 
it's just weird that they're having that conversation in the apartment. Yes, but then he, he, that's what I'm saying. Like if she found out who he was, when all she knew about him was this business relationship, like the, the real him was this business relationship. She would have been like, ew, gross, go away. But because he then fostered their relationship in real life and got her to a place where she forgave him and was able to see him as a person and not just as a monster who closed her company. Because again, it wasn't a malicious, it's not like he attacked her company. He just opened his own store. And it's a store he has with his dad and all that stuff. Didn't help. (laughs) I mean, they do have a scene specifically where they're targeting independence. This is my least favorite scene. Yes. And but that's like a very writer they took the meeting of the writer or whatever. I like it's I don't know. That's somebody who went to business school. Like like it's just it's they don't it is really just it's business and he doesn't understand that -hmm. it's personal. And part of his arc in the movie is learning from her that there's no such thing as it's just business, it's like it's not personal it everything's everything all the time but the idea that like like early in the movie she sees big bad joe fox as not a person he's just a a negative force in her life and throughout act three what he's doing is trying to show her that he is a person so that the revelation of who who he really is and that he means so much more to her on an emotional level she'll be open to him. There's a reason why they talk about pride and prejudice this whole movie. Like it mirrors that plot of they're both too proud and too prejudiced to see each other clearly and appreciate and um, be worthy of each other at the beginning of the book. But then they grow and they change each other. And by the end, it's something that can happen. She doesn't pick her randomly. So I'm going to bust in. Yes, go ahead. Yes, free, yes. (laughs) I have multiple things, but the only thing I'm going to say about this whole argument that's been happening, Steve, for most of the movie, I was creeped the fuck out by this dude. When he came (laughs) into our apartment, let let me finish before Kelly murders me. Um, When he came into our apartment and was like, hush, hush, I'm like, he's going to die. And if so, in that instance, if some dude that I had been financially fighting with in that aspect came into my apartment with a bouquet of lilies i like lilies not daisies and was like look i was the person you were talking to online this whole time he would have been shot i don't even have a gun but he would have somehow been shot it was just it's it's going off what kelly said it's like it is creepy as fuck if he just kind of like try to be like look you love me online so like just deal with it and like we'll deal with it later um so he if he didn't try to win her over it wouldn't like the ending would have been her slapping him in the face and like leaving and that's, that's all i'm gonna say about cliche. that it is but it's a rom-com no but you like, signed up that it's the man that we're coming back to but it's the man rom-com but it's the yes. man trying to get the woman and then we're we're not looking at the woman and what she's feeling and i'm just like Maybe she can open her heart to be friends with him, but she already became all the way to love. Yep, he hot, he, he rich, he hot, he has a nice know. apartment, and they yeah, eventually and fall in love. Yes, that's the whole end of the movie is that you see her make that decision when he's like, Don't mm-hmm. go, and she has the moment of like, Should I not go? Should I meet this guy? Uh, then it turns like, out it's perfect because not only has she fallen in love with him, but she's also found the person that she fell in love with online. He made it and, perfect. And now, 
I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> Steve, I'll just kick you off the call. I'm not, <laughs> I know. I'm just. <laughs> no, I discuss. I, like I'm, I've said all I had to say. Like I don't think I'm. You're going to change my mind about it. I have points I want to bring up that have nothing to do with that. Great. That's why Both. I busted in. <laughs> I don't even know what minute this was. So in kind of, not actually, has nothing to do with that. I discovered in watching this movie, I fixate on the weirdest fucking aspect of a film. A, I really like this movie. I thought it was really cute. I enjoy the aspect of um, the bookstore and stuff like that. There were three quick notes and then I'm going to get into my main thing. One, Tom Hanks, weirdly hot. Didn't like that aspect, whatever. Two, like, yes, I get he was hot when he was younger, but like he's old now, and I'm like, oh god. Two, Dave Chappelle. There was three black. There was three black people in this whole movie, but Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle or Tom Hanks? Oh no, I I don't want to know who said he will always be hot. Two. Thank you. Oh, to Tom Hanks. Sorry, my internet's being crazy. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, no, I um, think it's, um, I think there is absolutely no problem with being attracted to young Tom Hanks. I don't think yes. that's much. Chef's kiss. Um, to Dave Chappelle in this weirdly comedic, but like not at all Dave Chappelle-like role. I first saw him in Undercover Brother, which if you've seen that versus this, like, like night and day, hilarious. Three, being able to see the Upper West Side, especially since I haven't left the two miles of Queens, like that used to be my old haunting stomping grounds. I loved it. But my main point that I'm bringing up that is completely left field that no one's going to get with me. So I work in publishing and um, I happen to watch this movie halfway in between my book club, which is a bunch of people in publishing. And I was like, y'all, has anyone seen this movie? And it was just an interesting facet i don't know if anyone saw my expression when they mentioned that kate kelly the main character Kathleen kelly. Kathleen Kathleen kelly. Kelly. thank you i was almost there um when she's like yeah i'm just she, like she'll be an editor she knows what good books are and like my soul just like seeped out of my body and then just like the <laughs> mental hilarity of the idea of like you have like at this moment because we're in this hellscape Barnes and Noble, we're like, we're working to keep them up because we need them to sell books. We need indies to keep selling books. So like, but then you also have Amazon fighting because it's Amazon. So to see this beautiful encapsulation of like pre-2000s bookstores of like, oh no, the Barnes and Noble slash Borders is going to take us down and just like watch that play out with a rom-com aspect. That was beautiful because it was both hilarious and like this weird niche of like people who may or may not get that like some of this doesn't quite make a lot of sense but also entertaining and uh, yeah sorry continue no and that was my publishing rant yeah. I next wanted to bring up Liz worked for many many years in basically the shop around the corner and it Ooh. recently closed right Liz? Uh, no it hasn't closed it's oh, um, I thought it was in danger or something it is so I so I managed to I worked at and then I managed for years um, a bookstore called Mabel's Fables which is a children's bookstore which is shockingly similar to <laughs> the store in this film so much so that like we have we had basically a like like drop money in a jar kind of thing for the number of people that would come and be like, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but have you seen, you've got mail? <laughs> yes. Uh, we had, we had the story time nook and we did story time and we had classes and like, it's been an independent bookstore. It's been in the city for almost 32 years now. Uh, 
So it's an interesting one. And like, mm-hmm. I love that place more than anything. What Kelly's referring to is it had been the, the, we didn't own the building. I left the store about a year and a half ago, a year ago. Um, but they didn't own the building and it got, the building got sold and the rent went up by 70%, um, which should oh. be illegal. And da, 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 da. Anyway, and it was really wonderful. The community really, the community loves this place. It's like, we do baby classes. It's a real hub for the community. The, our city councilor, Josh Matlow, really stood up for Mabel's and there was like huge, huge rallies of support. There was going to be a town hall meeting and all of this kind of stuff. And we were going to see how we could fight it and if it's possible and da 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 da. And then COVID happened, like literally the week that it, the town hall was supposed to happen and all of this is when people went into quarantine. So hmm. could not have been worse timing. So the store remains open. You can buy online, maplesfables.com, support <laughs> independence. Um, you can do that. And there's still kind of, and it's kind of a waiting game to see what happens when the world returns to normal and shops can open, which is soon. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I've been in touch with him, but. No, that's like help, but, incredibly yeah. fascinating just because like, all my friends who had, who had seen it and, and were in this book club, they were all in publishing, like, in the, oh, my God, the company side, like, the publisher side. Mm-hmm. And we were all, like, I wonder what it's, at. like, because we've interacted with bookstores, and it's, like, I've seen some from, like, a consumer slash, like, publisher looking in. It's, like, I kind of wonder how realistic this is from the bookseller side. So it is nice to see. Yeah, it that, actually like, is shockingly, yeah, it's shockingly realistic. It really is. It's, like, from every single part of it is mm-hmm. realistic in terms of, I mean, t- honestly, looking at that as, as a bookseller, I was like, there's no way they could have this much stock on the shelves. <laughs> truly, for how big a store they have and how how many staff they have in on every day, and how many customers you see come into that store, I was like, mm, no. <laughs> as if you have 12 copies of, like, the new Olivia, like, and as well as every other, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Um, so, That's but that kind of though. stuff. But, like, uh, but the the basics of, like, we did we did huge, we had this kind of rally, we had so many people come, we had this huge sale, we had this, all this stuff, you know, we had so many more people in the store, and our sales remain the same, or like, you know, like, it's just this kind of steady decline, and what happens when a big box store comes in, and everybody's like, no, of course, we're going to support you, and we love you, unless you don't have the thing, in which case, (laughs) we're going to just go around the corner and get it there, um, as opposed to waiting, and I get it, like, nobody, if you want to read your book, or get a book for your kid, or whatever, you want to do it now, so... It, it was sad to see, uh, but realistic. And, but also to your point of the editor thing, I was like, cause that also, I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> she's just going to move in and like work for, I guess, Penguin at the time or whatever it was. But, um, uh, but the thing about that though, is the owner of Mabel's Fables, Eleanor, who mm-hmm. has been doing this for 30 some years is so connected to mm-hmm. the publishers and like the top, like, the heads mm-hmm. and the CEOs and CFOs of the publishers and like all the editors and all that I was like if this happened and that was her she could get that job like it is one of those things where mm-hmm. I'm like oh right like you do need to be a really specific person and does anyone else here's my big thing with the movie the timeline when it's like her mom started this store when she was quite young and the photo of Meg Ryan when she looks like a little girl looks like it was taken in 1945 <laughs> and, and then she's like maybe 30 something in the movie I was like, <laughs> nothing here is making sense the shop around the corner is supposed to be in around for like however many years. it just was very weird timeline wise for me anyway 
And also but her apartment. Me, I was like, how could she get this editing job when she's like 30 whatever and she has perfect taste? I was like, no, 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 no. Well, because like the connectivity, like I could totally see like if she has the great kind of taste, but I was like, unless she's an acquiring editor and like, yeah, but yeah. But also then I wanted to bring up her apartment because like I got his apartment because like he rich, but I'm like, where does she live on it's that salary? Classic, yeah, it's the classic, yeah. like, I guess she inherited it and it's rent controlled or whatever. Fine. Also, it's the '90s. I don't know. Have you lived in New York your whole life, Bree? Is it was are the '90s were they much better? I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I've totally not lived in New York my whole life. Uh, I was born here, and then I moved here in 2015. Um, but I think it was significantly easier. But it's just it's that friend's apartment size where it's like, even if it was realistic for back then, like in the now, it's just me projecting rage of like, I want multiple rooms and a massive bookshelf. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not as bad as the friend's apartment. That's like hilarious. Um, (laughs) But then then they like tried to come up with an excuse of like, oh, it's her grandma. Rent control. Like an illegal sublet. No, like stop. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But that's also just a movie thing. I know, but I'm still bitter. It's fine. I really like that part of the movie in particular, just, I like, I worked in retail 2007, from 2007, just seeing things closed down in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, HMV, the world's biggest bookstore that was a mm. part of Indigo at po- some point in chapters, mm-hmm. and now Indigo's just, it's one thing, um, sort of. Uh, but like, so many things have closed down, and, but other things, like, there's so many indie, like, record stores that are still like and their record and bookstores and they're still out there there's they're probably struggling right now i don't exactly know what's going on right now mm. but they were still it's seemingly going i don't know if strong is the right word but they weren't declining they weren't doing a lot of sales they were they were just doing fine um and we do have bmv which is you know used store and well bmv is a weird one because yeah, they <laughs> like <laughs> they used to be called bottom feeders but now we love them <laughs> Because <laughs> they would buy their, all the remainders. Anyway, but now every bookstore has to do that. There's no difference yeah. between. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, the other thing I found really interesting too is in this movie, it's like Fox Books or is, is like the chapters are indigo of its moment. Uh, and I remember now if you came into a bookstore, often we would be like, they'd be like, I know I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I might go to indigo. And we we're like, go to indigo, go and buy books at indigo. Try, tell them you don't just need to buy blankets. <laughs> And like buy books from this store. They're good, you know, they have like they bring bring in good books. Don't buy it from Amazon. Like any bookstore at this point, even the big ones, yeah. are better than going to Amazon. Well, and we saw this with the video stores too, right? Like basically if you manage to survive Blockbuster, which not very many did, but mm-hmm. if you did, you outlived Blockbuster. And so yeah. like now, if the like small like Mabel's is still here and indigo almost kind of isn't like they mostly sell blankets Mm -hmm. so they only they only still exist as a as a store because of their homewares and all of their other things it's not like if they'd only sold books and they hadn't adapted they'd be dead by now yeah so this the stores that managed to survive long enough independently to see the big box stores go down so it's sort of you've got mail is an interesting time piece because it's like the first part of a very interesting evolution that ultimately ended up like box books would be closed. Yeah. 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 
it's so hard because I, yeah. I think like my time and I know so many of us have worked in retail in our lives, but like my time on that side of it, um, and, and managing a store. And I remember having debates with people when minimum wage came in and I'm pro raising minimum wage. Of course I am. But there was like this big, there was this like fabulous argument that was like, if you can't afford to have a business that can pay people at this rate, then you don't get a business. And I was like, take her easy. Like, you're not trying to say, we're not saying to someone like how dare, like everyone should be paid this much. You're right. But then assuming that businesses have the margin where this increase of, you know, four bucks, five bucks is not going to make a difference and that they're not going to have to let people go. And same thing goes here for all of these different, like when we talk about buying online versus buying in store and what you're getting from like a store experience, which is majority the like expertise of the staff that's working there as well as then a nice experience and the possibility of like seeing things you wouldn't otherwise is great. But there's this like that, the idea of paying for that doesn't exist anymore. Like, why would I when I can go get it so much cheaper online and it'll come right to my door. But then also you hear the flip side of that, which is like, my neighborhood is now just condos and cafes. And you're like, yes, because you don't want to pay (laughs) to go to. Anyway, and you could say the same thing about any industry, about restaurants, about anything where it's like, and and I get it and I know. And of course, again, I would just want to say where anyone is like, yes, minimum wage is great. It should be raised. It should be $15 for sure. At least like 21, <laughs> it should be 80. It should be $88. <laughs> like, it should be 21 in Toronto. But well, it, I mean, what happens though, right? Like it should be higher for companies with a certain, like a, a minimum number of employees. Well, I mean, I just I'm, think we're yeah. talking about the wrong thing. We always talk about minimum wage, but it's actually the rent and the leases and it's the, it's how much it costs for the actual building to be in that location that I think is the problem. I mean, there's so, there's so many, there's so many issues and each, and each industry is going to have its own. Yeah. Yeah. And in the States, you've got like the healthcare thing where employers have to carry. Yeah. It's a whole, yeah, it's a whole mess. You've got mail. Well, I was actually, (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, like, she's got, she, you know, like I loved her having this like full-time staff. I was like, what a world. <laughs> and it was almost, yeah. And she didn't, it was interesting. She decided, and this might be like a flaw in the storytelling, but it also might just be a character point. You'd have to ask dead Nora Ephron what she meant, <laughs> but like, I kind of like the idea that she closes. She it never occurs to her to lay everybody off. Yeah. She's not going to fight. Mm. She doesn't go through her people one by one yeah. and then decide to close. Yeah. She says, this is the business I run as I run it and the way I want to run it. And if I can't run it that way, we can't run it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, which could be a character point, but could also just be unrealistic. Hard to say. I, I mean, choose who, to give Nora the benefit of the doubt. Who knows? Because in that case too, because she doesn't have part-time workers where it is easier to be like, unfortunately we need to shrink. She's got like, what's her name? The older woman. Birdie. 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 She's, and she's like, you know, obviously her, manager to some extent and then she's got two full-time employees so i was like that's like nice like if you can have that um with these young people who are just like yes good every day <laughs> well, um but then my biggest sad part in that movie for book stuff was is when bird birdie gertie birdie like birdie with a b birdie yeah when birdie is walking by when they have that author who's like i'm so excited we're gonna do our launch it's gonna be so great and then she's walking by and she sees her I'm gonna do yeah. the lunch at Boston. Like, that is one thing that to me was unrealistic because most of the time 
the biggest supporters of independence are the authors, especially if you've been supportive of their work in the past, which it was said that she had been. So that was one part where I was like, this is heartbreaking and it, it proves a point. But at the same time, there's no way like this woman would definitely get on board with anyway, supporting them by doing events. So that was one thing. I will say my favorite story about this movie that I have to share <laughs> the main reason I'm here. I worked at this bookstore forever and ever. And the other thing you get at bookstores that you don't get anywhere else is the ability to come in. Most people do come in and be like, there's a book. Uh, it's got a purple cover. Um, <laughs> yeah. A couple years old. And they'll be like, oh, it's this, uh, which is great. And I like for a while, and you hone the ability. I think I'm losing it, but I used to be able to be, if you were like, okay, it's about this. I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's no longer available in hardcover, but I can get it for you. And, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Um, anyway, so there was this book that I was obsessed with that we read in grade six called, I won't tell you what it's called. Fabulous book. Absolutely obsessed. Wait, we read it out loud. Okay. And I was, and I was in love with it. And it had a blue cover, kind of a night thing, looked like a big hotel, like a door kind of on the cover and this kid walking in, it was snowy. And it started with a B and I looked it up forever and ever and ever. Every day when I had time, time, I would be looking it up. I'd be asking people, I'd be asking like other publishers, other authors, other people that work there. Then I've watched You've Got Mail about a thousand times. But when I rewatched You've Got Mail recently, I watch it pretty often. When I watched it recently, in that scene where the woman is going to be doing the signing and Birdie's looking in the window, there's a little train that goes by and it's got all the new no. books of the year. <laughs> and one of the books was this cover. And I sw I've never had a reaction like this in my life. My partner Connor was sitting there and I like jumped up and like screamed and then just started crying for like five minutes was crying. And he was like, <laughs> what's happened? And you've got mail. Anyway, and it was this book and it was just sitting there and it was like in the little train. And I guess it was one of the big sellers of the year. The cool thing about it is it's in this New York bookstore, but it's by this author named Peter Carey, who's a Canadian author. It takes place in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was, and it was like one of his main big books and it's still around. And I ordered it from the library before all of this. And I'm very excited to read it. Probably it'll be terrible, but I'm really <laughs> excited to read it. And that was such a magical thing for this movie it was like right after i had left mabel so this happened that i watched it and i was what's it what's called why book? don't you want to tell us the title i can now it's called the big bazooli <laughs> the big bazooli to google it's amazing um, anyway it was just you know those books that you have that you remember from when you were a kid yep and it was read aloud to our class and it was just quite fun and mysterious and it was like right up my alley for like weird things all happening in this one building and it was like and it was in toronto which was cool anyway that was my big story for you've got mail and it's my favorite thing and i just thought it was so magical that it was about books and about and i was like whoever was doing this really did their research <laughs> they had all the best stuff up there anyway are the um liz are the the shoe books real Okay, yeah, I was. I always wonder that because I've never. They were not a part of my life, and the. It's, I always cool. love that sequence where she's talking. She's in the Fox books, and she's like, "I'd start with ballet shoes. It's my favorite." Well, this is the thing: is that this is another thing that proves that Meg Ryan's character is actually seventy-two years old because those books were popular <laughs> ages ago. I don't know why, and they're like dated for sure. Um, ballet shoes is really sweet. Um, mother, and, but they're yeah. like they're. Uh, yeah, uh, there's the ice skate one, I think is, is maybe even the other one she mentioned. Those are the ones I'm really only familiar with. But yeah, Noel Streetfield did them. We always carried the ballet shoes probably because of 
this movie. Um, <laughs> she has to yeah. spell how to how to spell the the author's awesome. last name to Chris Messina, playing the yeah. uh, Fox bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Neil, Neil Streetfield, it is spelled strangely. Strathfield. Yeah. Yes. So everything. Everything in this movie, they like did their research on the on the children's books stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Even the, the Betsy and Tibbs, you know that scene. Mm-hmm. When they went through those, those books are also classics and so fun, and so few people read them now. Uh, but everyone, and again, dated. And every once in a while, though, we get kids or like parents in that are like, "Do you know these books?" And they're those books, and they're really fun to read. So. I think what happened probably is that Nora Ephron put in all her favorite books, and probably. she was older than her character <laughs> was because the other one <laughs> I know that she talks about is Anne of Green Gables, right? Which like is yeah. one of those ones that's like such a classic that it doesn't really date you the same way, but yeah. it is an old book. It was important to my mom, so like I think that's probably it. Nora Ephron just wrote in hers, and she's all the references were like a little. That happens a lot though, <laughs> where the writer is a little older than her their characters, <laughs> so the references are like a little bit shifted. Then just, you get books like Pride and Prejudice, which is very old but very popular class also it good. was thematic steve yes i know i get that <laughs> I just don't also i just in the, in the not store, a real true elizabeth in the store they have all of these um stuffed animals that are part of the books and those have gotten harder and harder to find like there's new companies that will do them most of them are in the states so it's interesting when you see them around here but like getting the classics stuffed animals tough tough we used to get questions about having the Franklin, oh, the Franklin yeah. stuffed animal almost every day. I want one. Long. They just stopped making them. That's obviously a Canadian book, so a bit different, but. Oof. Right, right. Hmm. The, just to kind of go off something you were mentioning, Elizabeth, the ending scene just um, when she like walks into the store and realizes that like it's a community hub and like people go there and like super quick story time. I grew up in a Barnes and Noble like, we took over a Barnes & Noble every Friday night. I went there. My, like, ninth birthday party was at a Barnes & Noble where we, like, had a uh, something through the store, and, like, it was great. But it was one of those things where it's, like, if you only see this, like, big box store as kind of, like, your worst enemy, like, obviously, like, you would imagine that, like, ugh, like, why are they eating there? So, like, to see her kind of, like, realize that, like, oh, like, I'm, like, my store is gone, and this is really sad because it was a community hub, but to see, like, kind of another area where people of, like, who like children's books who need to bring their kids somewhere, but also can, like, enjoy adult stuff was, like, it was sweet. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, it was just really nice. I got yeah. replaced. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you made that unsweet, but like, yeah, it was. She was <laughs> well, replaced. That's why I, I guess. Wish, that's why I wish she ended up in that store and she can program things there. Like, anyway. Well, now that she's I an think- editor, she can like have books that are in the store, and she can yeah. like do book talks there with her authors. Yeah, she can probably still. I do also that. thought it would have been a bit too saccharine if if it was like, and now you come and work for him <laughs> yeah, in his yeah. store and like make it kill. Also, they're dating. Like, she shouldn't date her, like, bosses, 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 boss. That'd be weird. Yeah. But I, like, to me, like- in my mind, I was like, okay, if now you're going to be with him, you can rejig some of the ways he does business. And, like, right. you know, open yeah. some different parts of it, you know, or, like, small outlets. Anyway. But yeah, I absolutely I, I agree it would have been, like, a cop-out to have basically the ending be, oh, we are now dating, and also you work with me, not for me, but with me because <laughs> partnership. 
So I like that they didn't do that cop out and kept it like, okay, she still, she still loses out <laughs> in some capacity. It just becomes more realistic. Well, I, I agree with that. I don't love the idea of, um, I also just don't love any storyline where like dating the person means you get the job. That's always upsetting. <laughs> um, but the, I like that she ends up doing, she writes her own book because it is too, like she, this isn't her store. Like it's her mom's store and her whole life. It was about her mom's legacy. And so there is an element too of like, okay, without the store, you've lo- you feel like you've lost your identity and you've lost your connection to your mom. But the store was always about her mom and like, okay, now what do you do? And that choice having absolutely nothing to do with Tom Hanks, I think is a really good character move. Um, like it's not, she's not tied to him. He's now a completely voluntary person in her life and she's now figuring out herself. And you get a little bit of that, him taking the lessons of shop around the corner and applying them to the children's section um, when he hires Steve Zahn, um, who brings his knowledge to that section. And I'm also, I don't remember if this is in the movie, but they totally acquired all their inventory and stuff. So, um, yeah, I like the idea that but they don't have a children's section when, at, when, while she's open. And then um, she goes and visits and it's going to be okay. Steve, Steve Zahn works there. And, you know, I think... I, I, I was in the washroom when Brie was talking, but I fully agree <laughs> with that idea of like um, the community hub. And I think that's part of it. I think her going to Fox Books and realizing that like, it's not the end of the world and there is goodness there. And it is a place where people are engaging with books and the community is still the community. And it's not just this big evil thing that it was to her because it's personal, but it isn't in a larger picture is like folds into this idea of forgiving Tom Hanks and wrapping your head around the idea of like him, him as something more than just a villain, him as like a whole person who maybe isn't perfect and does things that hurt people sometimes, but that doesn't mean that he's bad. Or to fall in love with him, but that's okay. okay. Also, the, <laughs> I don't understand this like weird there's like people you can be friends with and people you can fall in love with. And there's a definitive line in between like, Human beings and relationships are complicated, and people sort of move between. I'm doing. Just a lot don't of think <laughs> the two arcs you know I just I mean? thought were different. I just thought that he was on a romantic comedy arc where she was in a book, her bookstore arc, her bookstore comedy arc, and he was in a romantic comedy. Like I just felt like she was not in this romantic comedy. I mean, the first scenes of the movie are both of them getting so excited to talk to each other when their partners leave. They're obviously already in an emotional affair, like. And having a delightful time. And she's like happy as a clam talking about the smell of pencils and whatever in the first bit in the bookstore. Like the whole thing for her is I, I'm so infatuated with this person. And then I think him in the real world (laughs) challenges her in a way where they're really like, they have, they have a spark. The reason Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan work together all the time is because they have amazing chemistry. So in this movie too, like you get to see them have this chemistry at that dinner party when he's taking the garnish. You can't have that. That's a garnish. Great stuff. They should have had sex right there. (laughs) Then we get to see the table. table. And then you get to see it keep building. And then the scene where he comes to meet her instead of when he's supposed to meet her, which if anybody was smart would have been like, 
are you the guy? <laughs> then uh, he comes in and starts chatting to her, and then they have the whole like fiery back and forth, and then she feels bad about, I don't know. Come That's on. the part of prejudice. Yeah, well, I don't understand at all, Steve, is this comment you keep coming back to of her feelings about him don't change. Her feelings about him change dramatically about the guy on multiple online. levels through about the multiple. guy online. No, the he guy online. He was the guy online too. He stood her she up. She always liked him. No, he stood her up. You, were you not paying attention to the movie? He stood her up, and there's this whole arc about her trying to like realize, uh, like decide whether and to forgive him, and then feeling to her again, and nothing changes. No, it does though, it does because, now, because now she's coming to him through the lens of, I actually kind of like this person in real life. Yep. No, 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 but that <laughs> hasn't happened yet. She, had, she, didn't, she didn't put two and two together yet. No, no, but this is the thing, is that when she starts talking to that, he comes over, he does the this, we all hate the this, and yeah. then they start going out on these little day dates and it's all cute, and she's still annoyed at the other guy, why didn't you come, I wish you had, and then, then when she's she started to have this friendship with this guy, at the end, <laughs> Before, it's like, let's meet again. She's already approaching her online chats with him through the lens of, like, I'm developing this friendship with this guy. Should I mention it? You know? And then finally, when he's like, should we meet? She's like, yes. <laughs> it's perfect. It's a flip. We love a flip. <laughs> Left field yes. question while Steve thinks about that. I, I have nothing to say to that. Tom, Tom Hanks' character was rich, right? Because that whole yeah, family oh, drama his with his aunt. Yeah. yeah, but I was like, why is he living on his boat and not one of his other apartments? Why did he move out? How rich is she? Another apartment. That's, that's, that was my question. How rich was his girlfriend, the the head person at, I don't know, insert big just publisher leave, here? You leave the place with them until they figure out what they're doing because they're probably going to leave too. Okay. I just want to make sure they get he, the house. because he's a good person and he yeah. had somewhere to go and she yeah I feel like didn't. since he uh, had a boat to stay on and she probably didn't he was just like yeah. I'll go stay uh, on the boat fine I like that also, I got the sense with her because I got a sense that the guy was, that the dad was going to stay on his fancy boat <laughs> for like a little minute while he had his divorce and then Tom Hanks actually liked going to the boat to get away from it. Hmm. and then I that's how I took it is that it's like she takes the apartment I'll find yeah. another apartment I'm gonna take my time because I'm gonna just be on my boat with Brinkley Brinkley Bye. yeah <laughs> I think I think that's totally fine I, I never <laughs> questioned the boat thing <laughs> I think it's fine <laughs> no, it's just I, the inheritance I, question I had where he's like you're gonna have to split your inheritance I'm like either that's a joke and they have no money or he's oh. just filthy rich and it's fine Green, they have tons and tons okay, of I was, just, I was just making sure it I wanted Meg Ryan to be rich at the end. <laughs> Fox Books is basically the size of a publicly traded company, but is a family company. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay, so she, she got money. I'm good. She's oh, yeah. all good. Yeah. She's fine. She's fine. And she had a little money put away. Remember, she says that. I was worried about her too. But she, and if not, she can ask uh, Birdie because Birdie's very rich. Oh, I love she that. Bought, she like... bought Intel at six. Yeah, I've got tons of money. That's Bernie's the best character. <laughs> and when she's from All in the Family, and I've only ever seen that woman in two things ever, and it makes me giggle. <laughs> well, what Every is the time. thing at the end when she's like, who is the uh, general? Generalissimo. That thing? <laughs> the Generalissimo? Yeah, that was funny. Oh my God. I love Greg Kinnear in this movie. I feel like he's totally underrated. Just the way you said Generalissimo is, I think of Greg Kinnear being like, she totally had an affair with General Lirango. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, here's an, uh, maybe an unpopular opinion. 
I've never been a Greg Kinnear gal. Oh, I love him, but I love what him. What about in Sabrina? Kind of Sabrina. Oh, the okay, the remake of the yeah with Harrison I Ford. He was about the teenage witch, and I was like, he was. Not I know. I was like, he's the <laughs> only Sabrina. I really, I mean, I don't dislike him. I'm not like, oh, get him off the screen. But he's just not my favorite. I don't know what it is. And I, I think he's a lot better in this than most other things. I, mean, I for years, like, yeah, didn't even know it was him. Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, I think yeah. he's fantastic in Little Miss Sunshine, but he's like the annoying dad. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not the same, really. I like yeah, him. I never buy the, like, when, remember when he was in Baby Mama? And I was like, why are we all falling for Greg Kinnear? <laughs> The smoothie shop guy. I, <laughs> he's smoothie the one, shop I don't guy? think of him as being like, because I, he's so solidified in my head as the other guy in You've Got Mail. And I think that like one, I said this earlier, but one of the highlights of this movie is that the other, the significant others are like human and good and interesting. And so he, it's not like he's like a dumb other guy, but he is the other guy. He's the lesser guy. And so, um, he's that in my head and like I've never really thought of him in like a leading capacity mm-hmm. um I don't remember baby mama very well but so he's that and then he does like character roles I think he's always like funny as like the dad in Little Miss Sunshine but I don't I don't know that I've ever seen him play like the dashing leading man and been like Greg Kinnear but I oh, do you should see Sabrina I really like him in this movie I really like his glasses um <laughs> That those are my main takeaways about my like making Greg Kinnear in this movie. I think he's very good. I, a lot. The the old trope of New York writer meeting woman who loves New York writer. <laughs> love it. The way it happens almost <laughs> identically in this movie as it does in When Harry Met Sally, where it's just like, oh, they meet for the first time and they're like, Hamana, Hamana, Hamana. <laughs> Which is so funny to me, where it's like, I just love when you turn to this phrase and you're like, okay, fair enough, I guess. <laughs> what is he I mean, uh, Nora Ephron has had some experiences in her life. I suppose you're right. I think you're right. Think you're right. <laughs> um, she was, wasn't she married to um, um, either Woodward or Bernstein? I think Bernstein. Was she? I think she was married to like yeah, one of the all the president's fun guys. I, I think. Yes, Love because that. there's a whole <laughs> section in her Wikipedia about how she knew about Deep Throat, which I was like, what? <laughs> He's a fascinating person. There's a there's a show on Amazon Prime that only lasted one season but was awesome um, called Good Girls Revolt that's in part based on her life and her time at, oh. I believe, Time Magazine or News. Oh. I think. Yeah, she's fascinating. You should read her books of essays and watch that very good, very canceled show. So, <laughs> cool I didn't know that show was about her. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, very loosely. And her she she is played by, isn't like about like loosely based on her and then she is a character but a side character and she's played by one of the gummers i don't remember which one but like one of meryl's kids oh yeah those ones it's like watching a bad photocopy of a meryl street performance (laughs) i mean (laughs) speaking as someone who's never seen one of them act uh how dare you (laughs) well I, i i sat through one of them in a play on broadway and that was kind of enough for me to not invest any more energy in watching them um well they're not there but what i think is good about them is i don't think they're trying to be their mom like they do a lot of tv jobs and stuff like they don't do big prestige like one of them's very good on the newsroom one of them is very good in a recurring role on the good wife one's in the newsroom yeah 
season one or after? I only saw season one. Definitely after. Oh, okay. He plays a, a reporter on the campaign trail. <laughs> oh, her. Okay. It's, it's, uh, I didn't her. say it out loud so as not to be recorded. <laughs> okay, so now if anyone's listening to the podcast and is confused, Liz has put some very derogatory things about the newsroom. Into this I didn't say der- anything derogatory. I said no one is good on the newsroom. It is, it is not a very well-performed show. There's I, like I strongly disagree, but that's okay. We can have that fight some other there's time. There's like at least three or four good ones on there. But Maybe I two. think I think lots of people are good. I think the main problem is Jeff Daniels is not good, and that's where we run. And neither is the woman who plays Mackenzie, and that gets us into trouble very quickly. Ugh, uh, I love her. About, what a what a woof! You know, I love her, but the performance was not good. Brutal. Just brutal. is she the British one? Yes, and yeah. your oh, male character on a Sorkin has to be a great actress, or you're going to go bad fast. Yes, because um, he doesn't know how to write for women. Exactly, but Felicity Huffman and Allison Janney can Allison fix Janney. that for it's him. And someone else cannot. This is not about the newsroom, though. So <laughs> I, right. I love the newsroom, and I specifically anything everyone else dislikes, I am like here to defend, and anything that everybody else likes, I'm like. But what if it's secretly bad? That's like central to my personality. <laughs> like this movie. No, but You've Got Mail is so good. <laughs> I have never disagreed with Steve before, and this is really upsetting. Yeah. I don't Ooh. like it. It's just, I, I did like the movie. I think it's a really good rom-com. It's just the ending. I just, I just don't like it. I think you don't, don't like rom-coms then. I do. All of your problems are fundamental to the genre. No, I think having listened to Steve's argument, which Uh-oh. I can't fully disagree with, but I do Uh-oh. partially disagree with. No, like it just made me sort of reflect more on the movie. I think something interesting that makes me like the movie even more is just realizing that Tom Hanks' arc is in fact him in a romantic comedy, but Meg Ryan's character, like Kathleen Kelly has bigger problems that aren't necessarily about a man. And the entire movie is based on the foundation of her, yeah. like trying to save her, career and her empire and like mm-hmm. somehow Nora Ephron still brilliantly has the heart of it being the rom-com but like it's one of those rom-coms where the central female character isn't like chasing the guy yeah like he's just there and it's secondary to the main story which is her like love affair with her career and books and all the things that just like for her make life worth living and then somehow it like she ends up with Tom Hanks and it's complimentary to like her bigger story and yeah good job Nora Efron I, love I also you. will say I'm sorry I'm, I'm very hard been very hard on Steve today but I'm very <laughs> glad you were here because I think it's very useful to have somebody on the call who disagrees yeah. and especially when you're disagreeing from a direction that many people disagree with this film and I think sort of talking through that and having to defend the film has made me discover because I don't generally think um intensely about you've got mail Um, like I haven't I used to watch it and enjoy it and just kind of let it go and I don't worry about it too much um but having to defend it I have sort of um discovered elements of it and angles on it that I hadn't necessarily articulated before and I like it more and feel more (laughs) secure in my life because coming into this call I was very much of the like I know there's problems we're gonna ignore them because it's pleasant and I think that now having talked through it, I feel more comfortable being able to say, you know what, I don't actually think the problems are as big as reputed. And I think that there are certainly angles on the film um, that 
it's, I think it's better than I thought it was an hour and a half ago. Uh, and I especially <laughs> really like something Matt brought up earlier, which is the idea of like, when does she figure it out? Because yeah. I do think she figures it out before, like at the end of the movie is the first time she articulates that she knows, but she definitely knows before that. And like, Somewhere, she in, the dates. Know. That moment. Somewhere in the dates. Yeah. yeah, no, like she has a lot of like she has a lot of really like nonverbal, like even just eye twitchy moments that read really strongly that I had never really noticed before rewatching today. And I think the like I can't remember what it is, but I think there's something that reads really strongly in the creepy sick touching facey scene where yeah, that's when I don't get it. I'm like, Yeah, you should not be feeling that way in that moment. You should be creeped the fuck out. Yes, there's certainly <laughs> But I guess I feel like she's not creeped out because that's when she when the puzzle pieces start to like connect for her almost to the point where like that could be the scene where he tells her but then he decides in the moment not to and then it moves us into the like last chunk of the movie potentially i mean we don't know what nora was thinking it was probably brilliant though <laughs> i do think though like they there is a bit of a cop out in that scene which is also that she's like a bit flustered and has a fever mm -hmm. And is sick so she's not reacting in the way that she might usually which i don't love as a as a you know a device but and to your point steve like i i i do hear you and i agree that at the basic center of almost most rom-coms from like <laughs> 80s right on through is the guy has the right to decide <laughs> what's best for the relationship and the woman without any input from her and and this does happen in this movie where he's decided that i get to know and i'm gonna make sure i set it up so that we fall in love without her getting to decide whether that's something that we should do so i i and i i totally hear you and i totally agree with that it becomes about his pursuit and not about her falling in love to me that's what that that's to me well it's comes. and it's that age-old thing of i'm going to make her fall in love with me which is like we love to watch tom hanks try to make someone fall in love with him <laughs> but Better in the terminal. In, in, yeah, in terms of making someone fall in love with you, you're you're taking the agency away from the other person to get the choice whether they want to pursue a relationship. Steve, do you also hate Groundhog Day? I don't remember it. It's been a long time. I really struggle with Groundhog Day. I, it's been a long time. I, I have not seen that movie in a long time. That just popped into my head as one where he like very blatantly is just like using all the information he has to set her up for let you know like it's like an ex <laughs> oh, super yeah. extreme version of that. something that is somewhat happening in this there's a ton like groundhog that. day is a bad one because there are moments where it's like we see it in a, in a quick cut but it's like he's literally plotting out where he gets stopped at every moment to where it's like okay i'm gonna get her in bed by the end of the day which i think is different like, than pride and prejudice and like darcy is like he cares for Elizabeth, but he's not really pursuing her after the rejection. It's, um... She rejects him? <laughs> oh my god. Spoiler and, um, but I've never seen her. This isn't Pride and Prejudice. No, this isn't... Anyway. They're not doing Pride and Prejudice. No, no, no. I, I understand that. I understand that. And also, no, he is pursuing her. Yeah. Come on. And also... Yeah, I'll say you're wrong about Pride and Prejudice. He just help her family out of the kindness of his heart. Well, also, no, Steve, he, if you he still keep restating your problems with this movie, this Zoom call is never going to end. <laughs> because we have to end on an ultimately you've got mail is good and worthy and wonderful and so if you keep it's worth watching <laughs> if it was good enough for sassy the dead cat it's good enough for me it's worth watching even just for the book all the book stuff like the bookstore stuff i think is very very good to see in a movie i i i just all of that um the gentrification whatever you want to call it 
okay. big, bigger bookstore dealing with a smaller store. Bree, why don't you take us home here? Oh, okay. Um, the one thing I was going to say was that there are a lot of things that happen in rom-coms that if they happen in real life, that that is not comfortable. What, in a rom-com in a situation, if a man chased me through the airport to declare his love for me, he bought a ticket, he sprinted through the terminal, he went through security and was like, I love you. I would, uh, I would love it. If that happened in real life, my <laughs> God, that's a lot of effort. And the pol I'd go to the immediate police and he get arrested, please God. So yes, in, in this movie, there are certain things that are like, uh, dude, what are you doing? But it's a movie. And like, do I watch Mad Max Fury Road be to look for driving tips? No. Do I watch rom-coms to look for best practices for a hot man when he's rich? I don't know, maybe. But like, <laughs> there's certain, certain things that like, you gotta let go. And if you don't, you'll just hate the movie forever. Yeah. And we're okay. just talking about it, so that's why. Okay, can I, <laughs> ah! I just wanted to say, but to Bree's point, I recently rewatched the film Wimbledon. Oh, no. <laughs> and here's the thing. I'm in love with Paul Bettany. I don't know why. I just love him. I guess ever since I watched The Beautiful Mind, yep. I just love him. That was the one, right? That's the one that gets you. It was the one, yeah. Oh. And then A Knight's Tale was like right in Knight's there, Tale, too. Yeah. And, it was just, oh. yeah, and then yeah. Da Vinci Code. <laughs> oh, he's very creepy. Not getting enough of him is that albino, <laughs> self-flagellating monk. Um, but no, okay. But in Wimbledon, and again, he's super charming. Almost no uh, <laughs> chemistry with Kirsten Dunst, but who's to say? But um, but in that movie, there's the scene where he's like, "Oh, here's your room." They get they give him the room, and he gets to the to Wimbledon, and he goes up, and he's like, "This seems too fancy for me. I don't know." Walks into the room, first thing he sees is Kirsten Dunst, fully nude in the shower, and he just goes. And she just goes, can I help you? And I was like, in what world does a strange man walk into your room when you're in the shower nude? And that's your reaction. You're up. Rom-com world. He should be dead. The police would be called. I, I'm not going to buy the like, sorry, fuck this was my room. Like, it was so... That's the worst one I've seen in a while where I was like, no. <laughs> no. It might be a European thing. That was also one, though, it's that like, I was so excited when that came out because I also was in love with Paul Bettany, especially at that time. Um, he hasn't made a good movie since, though, so I sort of, it's faded because you That's have to do good work. I mean, he's talk. in the... He's in the He's Avengers. vision. Yeah, <laughs> he's great in Iron Man. Sure, That's he's it. in those movies. Kelly. <laughs> um, <Deli>. But, <laughs> no, I like some people. Marvel is my newsroom, <laughs> okay? Um, no, I like lots of people in Marvel movies. I just think arguing that Vision is one of the highlights of those films is maybe... Vision's creepy. I was happy when the thing was pulled out of his forehead. Yeah, I liked him as... <laughs> yeah. like, I liked him when he was the suit. When he was the he voice was like of Jarvis. Yeah, oh, that I was fine. Jarvis. That was charming. Anyway, I loved him. I was so excited he was going to do a rom-com. I saw that. I would like seek out that trailer as many times as possible. And then I remember being really disappointed when it came out. Whereas this is a movie, you've got mail, that was like wonderful and perfect. And only in retrospect did anybody, you know, whereas Wimbledon is not a good movie. Just, it's not the genre's fault. It's just maybe the writer's fault. <laughs> 
And he's so cute in the movie. And, and Kirsten Dunst is fine in the movie. It's she's a- also a great actress. She's just been in a bunch of bad movies. Hmm. Have you seen Melancholia? Have you seen Fargo? She's yes. actually a really good actress. Jumanji? You can make the same argument about Nick Cage, and I'll do it for days. I just think... By all means. I don't need to love. Amazing. Why is that hard? Nicholas Cage is amazing. The National Treasure is a damn treasure. Thanks. <laughs> yes, it is. So, Kirsten Dunst and Nick Cage are like the same. Where there's all <laughs> these bad movies, but then you're like, oh yeah, remember Moonstruck? Anyway. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I I think we're done. We have all triumphed over Steve, and it's time <laughs> to call it. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay. Bye, guys. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay.